I got rattled all of a sudden. Just gonna leave all that right there for a little. Man, I'm so glad you're here today. The Spirit of the Lord is in this place. Amen. Amen. His word is alive and it is good to be together today. Amen. It is good to be together. There's power when God's people gather together. And that is why we're here today. I'm grateful for those who are joining us online as well from all across the United States. We're glad you're joining us this morning as well. You are together with us. So amen. So welcome to our series, Rattle. We've been looking at some ways that God rattles our world, rattles us, so that we might see the things that are completely unrattleable. Amen. So we might see who he is, lean into, trust in who he is, and see what can't be rattled. Because when a people do that, they will rattle the world. Amen. Amen. So throughout Scripture, of course, God does miracles. And it's awesome when it happens. God has a purpose when he performs a miracle. And the purpose is bigger than the moment. The purpose of the miracle is bigger than the moment. It's bigger than just the thing that happened. God always caused a miracle to come about to show his people something bigger even. The greatness is in the bigger and not just in the miracle. We sometimes get caught up in the miracle and miss the meaning behind it. For example, when God set his people free to cross the Red Sea, when he opened a path for them to walk through and get to the other side, the greatness was not just in the fact that he parted the Red Sea. The greatness was a message he wanted his people to know. I will be your way maker when there is no other way. That was the meaning. You see, the meaning is bigger than the miracle. And he wanted them from that point forward to know, I will be the one to deliver you. Do not get caught up in your circumstances. Get caught up in me because I will make a way when there seems to be no way. Amen. The miracle is always bigger. The message always bigger than the miracle. When God called a man named Lazarus out of his tomb that he had been in for four days. That was a miracle because he came walking out of his tomb. Where there had been death, there was now life. There was a resurrection that happened. But the greatness was not just in that moment and in Lazarus. The greatness was that Jesus was showing everybody, including us, that he is the resurrection and the life, and he causes greater miracles to happen than even physical resurrections. We get caught up sometime in thinking, man, if we could just live in those days when those miracles happened. Man, if I could just see somebody resurrected, then I'd really believe. Check it out. I have been resurrected. Hey, I wasn't in a hospital dead, but I was caught in my sin dead. I was uninterested in God. I was wrapped up in my guilt, covered over in my shame, buried in my fear. And he spoke to me one day and he called my name and called me out of that. I stand here as someone resurrected today. That is a miracle. 
And you are a miracle too if you've put your faith in Jesus Christ. Not by your strength, not by your power, not by anything you've done, but by what he has done in you. And the physical miracle of Lazarus was only to show you and I that when we are dead in our sins, he calls our name to resurrect us. And that is the greater miracle. Amen? It is. It is. And God will do that from time to time to rattle our world. And he is at work today. You might be tempted to look at all that is happening and think that God has somehow turned away, walked away, turned his back. Let me assure you by the confidence of Scripture and the power of the Holy Spirit, he has not left us. He is for us as his church. He is with us. He is at work in us and through us. He is at work in our world today. Just because they don't recognize it doesn't mean he's not in it. And he is powerfully, confidently, boldly at work today. Our sin is not against us as followers of Jesus Christ. He has removed it as far as the east is from the west. He paid for it on the cross. It is done. It is finished. He no longer holds it against you. You have been set free in Jesus Christ. Amen? That's a miracle. That's a miracle. You could not make that happen on your own. God has not been defeated by the schemes of the enemy or the efforts of man. God reigns victorious today. He is the conquering one. We are not limited by our weaknesses today. We are not sitting in places of weakness. We are actually seated with Christ in the heavenly places right now. Let us lean into who we are in Jesus Christ. There is no weapon formed against us that will prosper. The gates of hell cannot prevail against us. The spirit of the living God is within us. We have the ability and the power and the strength to walk in what he has called us to be and do. Amen? Amen. So our message today in our rattle series is called Stand and Face Them. Yeah, it's time. It's time to stand and face them. It's time to be bold. It's time to be confident. It's time to quit being afraid. It's time to quit living in discouragement. It's time to quit living in doubt. It is time to stand and face those who threaten us and stand in the face of victory and Jesus Christ and walk in all of that. Amen? Amen. Turn in your Bibles today to 2 Kings chapter 13. We're going back to the future. We are going back in time to see something for our future. 2 Kings Chapter 13, it's a different time. It's a time when God speaks through prophets. It's a time when there is a temple. It's a different time because sacrifices are being offered. It's a different time because there, is, there are priests. And I know sometimes you might think, well, man, you know, to live back in that day, that would have been awesome. But let me also remind you, they had a sacrificial system. We have the sacrificial Savior who was the answer to all that they, they looked at. We know him in reality today. They had temples that they went to and tabernacles that they brought sacrifices to. But our God has made us his temple today. We are the temple of the Holy Spirit. Here, God is speaking through a man at this time, who was a prophet named Elisha. Now, it gets a little confusing if you're keeping up in the Bible with characters because there's an Elijah and there's an Elisha. You know, some moms do that in their families. 
These two guys weren't brothers, but sometimes moms name kids very close things. It gets difficult. But here were two men. The first was a prophet named Elijah, and he had a man he mentored named Elisha. And Elisha went everywhere that Elijah went and was in awe of how God worked through him. In fact, when it came down to the end of Elijah's life, Elijah knew that the Lord was going to come get him. And the Lord did in a very unusual way. A fiery chariot came down, swooped him up, and took him off. There was no death and burial for Elijah. And Elijah said to Elisha, what do you want me to do for you? Here's his last opportunity to make an impact into Elisha's life. And Elisha said this very wisely. Give me a double portion of your spirit. He's gone. That was it. Elisha said, whatever you have that God has worked through you, shown himself mighty, many miracles. In fact, 14 miracles have been done through Elijah. Elisha said, whatever that is within you, and I know what that is, I want that, and I want double that. So you start reading Elisha's life, and you start seeing how God uses him. He speaks through him. He starts doing miracles through him. Five, 10, 12, 13, 14 miracles, 15, 18, 21 miracles, 22 miracles, 23 miracles, 24 miracles, 25 miracles, 26 miracles, 27 miracles. And then our story starts for today. Just remember what I said, Elijah, God did how many miracles through him? 14. Up to this point, 27 for Elisha. Our story starts in verse 14 of verse 13. I'm sorry, of chapter 13. <clears throat> Elisha had become sick with the illness of which he would die. Then Joash, the king of Israel, came down to him and wept over his face and said, Oh, my father, my father, the chariots of Israel and their horsemen. He wasn't really his dad, but what he was saying to him was, You have been like a father to me. You have been a leader in our nation. In fact, the power of God upon us, the ability of God working in us and for us on our behalf has been through you. You are like the chariots of Israel. You are the horsemen. You are the strength and the vitality. And the king realizes this man is about to die. Mm. Verse 15. It says, And Elisha said to him, Take a bow and some arrows. So he took himself a bow and some arrows. Now, what is about to happen in, these, in this passage are two, for me, two of the most unusual stories in the Old Testament. And they happen in this one setting, this one context here. And so Elisha, who is on his deathbed, says, get a bow and get some arrows, verse 16. Then he said to the king of Israel, put your hand on the bow. So he put his hand on it. And Elisha put his hand on the king's hands. So we've done this message here at Vertical before. I'm not going to do all the details on it. But here is 
the king, he picks up this bow in obedience to Elisha. He's just doing what he said. He holds the bow in his hands and Elisha reaches out and he puts his hands on top of the hands of the king holding this bow. Verse 17. And he said, open the east window. And he opened it. Then Elisha said, shoot. And he shot. Shoot an arrow out the window. And he did. And he said, Elisha said this, the arrow of the Lord's deliverance and the arrow of deliverance from Syria. For you must strike the Syrians of Aphek until you have destroyed them. The people of God had been hounded by Syria for quite some time. Elisha knew who the king of Syria was. If you go back to chapter 8, I'm not going on screen there this morning, but if you were to go back in chapter 8 and see the things that Elisha said about that king, that king of Syria was wicked. He said about him, I know what you're going to do, king of Syria. You're going to attack our cities and burn them. You're going to take our young men and slaughter them. You're going to take our children and dash them. Throw down, crush. And you are going to cut open the wombs of our mothers. This man was brutal. This army was horrendous. And so for the king of God's people to get a word from Elisha that said, this is a moment, king. This is your moment to exercise your faith. This is your moment to see how much faith you're going to have to win this battle because you face a foe that is cruel, heartless, godless, and he will destroy you unless you trust in God. So now, take these arrows and shoot them out the window as a demonstration of your faith. Show me how much faith you have, King Joash. These are Elisha's last words. Show me how much faith. Verse 18, then he said, take the arrows. So he took them. And he said to the king of Israel, strike the ground. In other words, shoot the windows out. Shoot them towards Syria. As a demonstration of your faith and what you are confident God will do, shoot them out to the ground. There was no one out there at this point. It was simply an external demonstration of his faith. I believe you, God. Therefore, I will shoot these arrows. And it says, he struck three times and stopped out of his quiver of arrows, which could have had six, eight, ten arrows in it. The king shot three, and the Bible's clear. He stopped. For some reason, it was a little too much for him. It seemed a bit hokey. It seemed a little weird. It seemed like, eh, why am I doing this? He stopped with three. Verse 19, and the man of God was angry with him. 
and said, you should have struck five or six times. Then you would have struck Syria till you had destroyed it. But now you will strike Syria only three times. Bad news, good news. Bad news is, Joash, you only shot three arrows. What? What were you thinking? This was your moment to go all in. This was your moment to be fully surrendered. This is your moment to give every element of your energy and strength to trust God. That though you might face a foe that is bigger than you, that outnumbers you, that outweaponizes you, that is cruel, that is heartless, this is your moment to stand up against them. This is your moment to shoot in faith. This is your moment to trust God. But he only went part of the way. Three arrows. He did that and he stopped. It's like someone who says they're going to make a commitment to Christ, maybe even makes that commitment, goes a little way, then stops. It's like somebody who gets up in the middle of a trial and they say, I know I'm supposed to trust God, but I just can't. The odds are too overwhelming. It's too much. The temptation is too great. I just can't do it. I'm going to stop. It's like someone who's caught in the middle of temptation. They should trust God to deliver them in that moment and walk in obedience to the Holy Spirit, and they stop instead. This man stopped. That's the bad news. The good news was that Elisha said to him, you're going to strike Syria, and you'll strike them three times. To bring a striking blow against Syria was big. It was a big promise. It was something that I'm sure the king had mixed feelings about. I should have gone more. I didn't. I stopped. But God is going to be with us. Now, we look at verse 20, and the story turns. Then Elisha died. And they buried him. That was the end of his life. Those are the last recorded words of Elisha. Why did you stop? At three. The Lord is going to deliver you three times. The last words of Elisha. He dies, and they bury him. They go through the process of mourning grieving, burying this man who represented the strength of the people of God. It's one of these big funerals. It's one of these national day of mourning moments. This is Elisha who has died. And they go through the process of burying him. But it also tells us in this verse it says, and the raiding bands from Moab invaded the land in the spring of the year. Hmm. This is not Syria. This is Moab. This is a different group. This is a group who is known for their raiding bands. The New King James says it. <clears throat> if you're going to put it in some Texas language, we would say the punks from Moab <laughs> invaded the land in the spring of the year. They were small punk bands, not punk bands, but <laughs> punk 
gangs, let's do that, who would invade, rush in, find an unsuspecting group, a small group they could outnumber, go up, threaten them, steal from them, and take off back home. Punks. The kind of folks you're just like, oh, no. Not, mm, somebody needs to whoop them. <laughs> right? Since we're using Texas language here this morning. <clears throat> I won't use the rest of Texas language with that. But it's the spring of the year. It's just when it happened. Everybody kind of knew, oh, it's spring. Oh, time for the punks to show up. And they would. Now, the people of God had just buried Elisha. But they also had this promise. You're going to strike Syria three times. He will be with you. He will deliver you. You're going to have some victory. He will give you the strength you need. With that in mind, a group that knew they were going to defeat Syria three times should have no reason to ever be afraid of some punks. Are you with me? If you know you've been made more than a conqueror, if you know you're in a position where you're going to win the battle, why would you be afraid of a punk gang that showed up who didn't have the weapons that Syria had, didn't have the numbers that Syria had, but you already had promise of victory over them, why would you be afraid of some punks? You wouldn't. But we follow our story. Verse 21. And I'm going to slow this down to slow-mo here for just a moment. This happens in one verse, but we're going to drag it out a bit to see all that's in it. So it was... As they were burying a man, Elisha has died and been buried. Punks invading the land, life goes on. Someone else dies, it's time for a funeral. As the people of God, funerals are significant events. Funerals are time to grieve with a loved one. It's time to comfort a family. It's the time you know you're approaching eternity here and you're about to touch eternity. This person has just crossed over and now we're going to grieve with the family, comfort them, and all of a sudden take in the perspective of, whoa, life is shorter than I thought. Life is more brief than I thought. There's some things in life that are more important than I thought. Death will do that to you. It'll put some things into perspective Here, this story tells us that they, the people of God, are burying a man. It's time for a funeral. I don't know how much time has passed. As we're going to find out in the story, it appears to have been a while, a pretty good while, actually, from the time that Elisha is buried to the time that this man is going to be buried. So they were burying a man. It says that while they were doing this, that suddenly they spied a band of raiders. They spied some punks. They're carrying out a funeral. 
They're caring for one another. They're ministering to one another. They're doing what they're supposed to be doing as God's people. And while they are doing what they're supposed to be doing, they look and see some punks coming. Mm. And it says suddenly. So they're kind of caught off guard. They all of a sudden see this group. They're trying to carry out a holy task. They're trying to do what they're supposed to do as God's people. And in this moment, they see some punks. It's important what you do in moments like this. It's important what you do when all of a sudden there's a threat facing you. It's important that you know what to do when all of a sudden a threat shows up in your life. What we should do is turn to the place of greatest security. We turn back to the things we know for sure. In this place, in this story, it, the right thing would be to turn back to God's promises as we do and say, okay, God, what have you said about moments like this? It says that while they're burying this man or on their way to bury this man, suddenly they spy a band of raiders. And then it says in the next part of the verse, and they put the man in the tomb of Elisha. Now, I'm showing you the New King James Version. And the New King James Version gives these guys a lot more credit than what was really happening. If you go back in the original language, or if you check just about any other translation of Scripture, it doesn't say put. It says they threw the man. They tossed him. They chunked him. They got him off their hands. So the picture is they are on their way to a funeral. They're carrying this man. I'm imagining music. I'm imagining people crying. I'm imagining this holy moment. They're carrying out the task they've been called to as God's people. They're on their way and someone says, uh-oh. And they all stop and they look and they said, it's the punks. And they see them. And it doesn't say that they went on about their business. They kept carrying out the command of what God had called them to. Instead, it says that they took this poor man's body and just said, we got to get out of here quick. And somebody goes over and opens the tomb of the most revered man who has most recently died, rolls away the stone, slides away the, the cover, and they just say, here, Woo. and they chunk him in there. They throw him in there. They're like, we got to get out of here. And they toss this man into Elisha's grave. You see, all of a sudden, panic took over. All of a sudden, fear got the best of them. All of a sudden, the punks were given a whole lot more credit than their God. They threw him in there. They let fear be bigger than their faith. They let fear be bigger than their calling. They let fear be bigger than the promises given to them. It does not matter what challenge comes into your life. In that moment, you should never, ever give up on the conviction God has put in your heart. Conviction should always be bigger than the challenge. We should never, ever let fear have control over 
our faith. Amen? Now, let's just go ahead and talk about it all. Because uh, I'm going to roll my sleeves up, but that's okay. Um, we live in a day where there's some legitimate reasons to be concerned. We'll just talk about COVID-19 for just a moment. There are some legitimate reasons people have suffered at this illness and people have died from this illness. There's legitimate concern. We have people within our own church family who are watching from home today. And I wouldn't want them to feel any guilt, shame, or fear that you are at home. There are some who need to be concerned and be in a safe environment. I've spoken with some this week and encourage them. You are doing the right thing because of the concerns you have for your health or people in your family. I get it. That's right and that's good to do. But there is a spirit of fear in our land today that is different than just COVID-19. And the enemy is using things like COVID-19 to cause greater fear even in God's people. And he appears to be using this circumstance to try to come against even God's people, the church. When I read what's happening in China today, that those who are announcing faith in Jesus Christ are told they can no longer receive governmental support and finances, even in their sickness, and that those who proclaim faith in Jesus Christ are having their children taken away from them and given to other families, that's a problem. When California says you cannot gather for church worship services like we are doing because of COVID-19, but you can go protest in the streets against your government all you want, that's a problem. That doesn't set well. That's a problem. When California says you cannot even gather in your homes in small groupings for Bible studies because of COVID-19, that's a problem. Fear is being used by the enemy today to accomplish something bigger than what we may even be allowing ourselves to believe. The NFL has just told players they cannot attend Sunday church services where there's an attendance of greater than 25%. That's a problem to me. And not just because of First Amendment rights. I'll stand up all day long for those. But I'll stand up even louder and stronger for a command from God that tells us we're the people of God. We are called to meet together. Amen. So I was happy to see Pastor John MacArthur 
in California take a stand this week. If you haven't read his stance, get online and look at it. Caesar has a place, but God has a place. And when the commands of Caesar go against the commands of God, then like the disciples in the book of Acts, we have to say, we must obey God rather than man. So I stand with them today. We are the church of the living God. We are ambassadors for Jesus Christ on this planet. There is no other voice. We are salt and we are light. We have been given the ministry of reconciliation. We have been given the word of God, which we must handle wisely, confidently. We've been given a command to go, therefore, and make disciples. We are to teach and we are to baptize and we are to lead people into the ways of God. And we must continue at that in spite of punks who show up to tell us we cannot. Are you with me? Isaiah 59, 19. When the enemy comes in like a flood, the Spirit of the Lord will lift up a standard against him. There is a flood attempting to hit the church today, but the Spirit of God is bigger than any flood from the enemy. And the place that the Spirit of God dwells today is within the believers. That's you and me. And so, based on that promise from Isaiah, when the, when the enemy comes in, the Spirit starts moving. The, st- the Spirit starts circulating. The Spirit starts giving some boldness. The Spirit starts moving inside us. And I don't know if you have felt what I have felt, but all of a sudden I have this sense of a greater Spirit of God movement today than any other time in my life. There's something that's boiling. There's something that's moving. There's something that's stirring. And this is not the time for you and I to diminish that or to deny that. This is our time to act on that and be the standard that's lifted up and said, we will follow our God. Amen? Amen. So, bigger than COVID-19, the church must be the standard that is lifted up. On a national level, we are the voice that is called to stand for the unborn. That is our calling. We must do that. They are being murdered today. And it's the calling of the church to stand up for those who cannot stand for themselves. It's the calling of the church to stand for the right to worship freely. It's the calling of the church to stand for the biblical design of a man and woman in marriage and no other design. It's the plan of God that the church stand for the necessity of work that is rewarded with pay, not laziness rewarded with money. These we must stand for as a church, regardless of who would come against us, regardless of what enemy is trying to come in like a flood, or regardless of what punks attempt to show up and stop 
on a personal level. You and I are called to whole life obedience to Christ, not compartmentalized faith. In fact, the problem that's happening in government today is because the church has been pushed out of it. And the problem that's happening in the church today is because somehow we have thought that the government wasn't a part of this. Our voice is meant to speak into that. Our voice is meant to speak into the morals of this country today. They were never meant to be separate. They were always called to be unified. Go back and read it in the Old Testament and see if you find anything in God's commands that separates the social order from the spiritual order. It's not there. Yeah, that's just a hint at some more things that are coming in October and November here. Um, personal level, God has called us to personal righteousness. God has called us to daily transformation of our lives. God has called us to sacrifice in love for others. And God has called us to pursue him first above all things. Don't let any force, don't let any fear, don't let any punk tell you anything different than that. This is what you and I are called to as the church today. And it's time we stand against the punks in our own life and the punks that would seek to stop us and proclaim that we are the church of the living God. Amen? Amen. Now, let's get back to our story. They toss this guy's body into the tomb where Elisha has been for some time. Watch what happens next. It says, and when the man was let down and touched the bones of Elisha, he revived and stood up on his feet. <laughs> Whoa! I told you some crazy stories today. They throw this guy's body into the tomb and say, see ya, we're out of here. And they take off to get away from the punk. They won't finish what they were called to do as the people of God because they're afraid of the punks that were coming after them. Woo! And then they threw that body in there. A rattle started. They heard some bones rattling. And they said, oh, that's just Elijah's bones in there rattling. But they kept listening and realized, hold up. I hear something else. I hear somebody saying, help! Let me up out of here! Get me out of this dead man's bones place! That man was alive all of a sudden. You see... God had given Elisha a double portion of Elijah's spirit, 27 miracles up to this moment, now 28. God completed what he said, amen. He always finishes his promises. And this man, he starts rattling, and he gets up out of that tomb. And that man's one story changed the future for God's people. Because forever after, now that guy was that guy. Oh, you're that guy. You're the guy who died, right? You're the guy who they were carrying and they panicked and they threw him in the tomb and then you came to life and you touched Elisha's butt. You're that guy. Yes, I'm that guy who was dead, but now I'm alive. Praise God. Now, this is a miracle. And it was a miracle bigger than just that moment. There was meaning here. There was a message here. There was a message for God's people you're about to go up against Syria. You don't have Elisha anymore. 
But God was saying, what you have is you've got me. And the greatest picture I can give you is this man who was just resurrected. Amen? And they had no reason from that point on to no longer be afraid, to be concerned about punks because they were God's people with a holy purpose. They were called to be a blessing to the nations. They were called to live out God's ways. They were called and they were going to be blessed in their going in and their going out if they would obey God. And he would never leave them or forsake them. We finish up the story with this. It says, And Hazael, king of Syria, oppressed Israel all the days of Jehoahaz. But the Lord was gracious to them, had compassion on them, and regarded them because of his covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and would not destroy them nor cast them from his presence. Woo. In other words, God was good to them because God remembered a covenant that he had made long ago to Abraham. A covenant that he would bless his people and be with them and protect them. And because of a covenant made a long time ago, he was going to protect them in the current. Look, today, you might be concerned about what you're reading, seeing, watching, and hearing. Our faith is to not be in what we see here, but in what we know here. And this God has made a covenant to us, and he made it in his son, Jesus Christ, that he would be seated with him in heavenly places, that he would be his son, that he would give him every, every blessing in the heavenlies. And so now, if you are in Jesus Christ, you will be blessed because he is blessed. Don't look at yourself and think, oh, I've got to make sure I keep everything perfectly. No, Jesus kept everything perfectly. Your role is just to believe what Jesus said. When you enter into that, you'll know the blessing of God upon your life. He'll protect you in your life. He'll watch over your life. He'll bless you when you're coming in. He'll bless you when you're going out because he has made a covenant with his son, Jesus Christ. Amen? So today... We are about to see a miracle. I'm not going to show you someone's physical eyesight restored. I'm not going to show you someone physically resurrected. But today we are baptizing in this trough. We're going to baptize, I'm praying, every week from now to the end of 2020. Amen? We have four who've already said, I'm in. One of those happens today. And each week we're going to keep baptizing one. We'll keep filling up the fresh water. We'll keep getting it ready. If you've not put your faith in Jesus Christ, come see me afterwards. If you would like to be baptized as a statement to all, I believe in Jesus Christ, you've not done that, come see me afterwards. Because baptism is a picture of, of resurrection. It's a picture of someone whose life is going to be buried in this water and then raised up out of this water. The water's not magical. 
The water is not what washes away guilt and sin and fear and discouragement and depression. It's the blood of Jesus that does that. This is only an outward picture. But it's a beautiful, powerful picture of resurrection. And if you needed any encouragement that God is for us today, with us, and moving on our behalf, then all I have to show you in just a few moments is the life of someone who has been resurrected. You say, well, it would just be cool if it really was a physical resurrection. Come on. Look, let's get to what's real here. In some ways, that would be easy. But you take someone's heart who has been enslaved in guilt, wrapped up in fear, far from God, not able to see him, know him, trust him, and everything they see is blinded by that, to have that person's heart redeemed and resurrected, to see God grow in faith and walk in him, that's a miracle. And if you think that is easier than a physical resurrection, you don't realize the depths of your own sin. Hey, you and I were dead and buried with no hope. If you think all you needed was just a little pat on the back and a little wash off your sin kind of thing and that that was going to make all things better, you've got it flat wrong. You've messed up. You've missed the story. You were dead in your sin. No hope. Without hope in this world. Destined for hell. Burned for eternity with no hope. Were it not for the gospel of Jesus Christ and the hope that's found in him. So when I meet someone who says to me, I want to believe in Jesus Christ, I know that is a miracle. That is the Spirit of God is at work in that person's life. So today, we're going to see a miracle. Amen? Why don't you bear your heads with me? Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word today. I thank you that it is alive, it is powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword. I thank you that your spirit has been given to us as followers, as believers. I thank you that there's hope. I thank you that you are still in the business of opening blind eyes and raising dead people. Father, forgive us for so confusing the matter and thinking that Somehow, physical healing and physical resurrection is greater than spiritual healing and spiritual resurrection. Today, we repent of that, we recognize it, and we worship you with gratefulness for healing us and resurrecting us in Jesus Christ. And I thank you for a picture of resurrection today. I thank you for the power in this picture that reminds us just as you reminded your people in our story, I am your God. I am the one who changes lives. I am the way maker. Trust me only. Father, I thank you for faith today. I thank you for boldness. I thank you for the church that you have called. I thank you for the people in this room who've taken a step of faith to come today. And I thank you for this baptism today. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to ask Lita Gable to come on out. Lita has, um, has been a member here at uh, Vertical and even at FBO 
before, before there was a vertical. Yeah? Yes. She was. And, uh, and we've talked the past several weeks quite a bit. And Lita says when she was young, um, she prayed a prayer to receive Christ and was baptized then. But like so many, baptism as a child and faith as an adult can sometimes be two very different things. And there's something powerful about being an adult and knowing what's happening all of a sudden. We've been talking, and um, I gave her a book this week um, by Adrian Rogers. If you've been around the church for a long time, you'll recognize that name. He's gone on to be with the Lord. The book was called What Every Christian Should Know. And uh, I gave it to her last Sunday. She told me this morning she's pretty much finished with the whole book. Whoa. And she said to me this morning, I just didn't realize what all had happened to me. My own death, my burial, and resurrection. So today is a good day for a lot of reasons. Um, Lita's excited to make this public confession, but to also to make this private statement of, I am going to be different from this point forward because Jesus has changed me. Amen? Amen. And we all sit like you. We have been sinners, trusting in Jesus only. I know you like to think no one has done what you've done. That's been our talking point recently. If you think you might have sinned more than Lita, just raise your hand for just a moment. I'm putting my, okay, look at this, look, look. I want you to see all that. Okay? And then, <laughs> so I'm two hands, look at all that. So, it's true. But how many have, how many know you have been redeemed from your sin? Yeah, amen, amen, amen. Come on, Lita, let's go. Yeah. warm, huh? No. Eh, no, it's not. It's not as warm as it was. It's a little cool. You're good. Alita, I'm very proud of you for one, grateful for you as well. And I'm grateful that all these folks get to see and participate in this this morning, to see what God has done in your life. This is a true resurrection. You have been in your sin, but today, by faith, no longer. Today, because of the resurrection of Jesus. Your sins are removed from you. You're washed clean. You're redeemed. What once was scarlet is now white as snow. You stand before your creator and your redeemer, accepted and loved. I baptize you as my sister in Christ. You're buried with him in baptism. And raised to walk in newness of life.